With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, you want to get this thing started? Yeah, man, let's, let's rock this out and pull that script up. All right. <coughs> if you want to just give me a countdown and then hit record and then I'll uh, start out. I am already recording. Oh, cool. Four, three, two, one. Hey y'all, this is a new thing Casey and I will be trying out on a weekly basis. With everything going on with Purdue basketball, we decided to move up our inaugural, off- inaugural offering covering the no-deal transfer. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know what's going on. Uh, but I'll give you a quick recap. Uh, no-gel, Easter, Purdue's starting point guard over the last two seasons, announced he was transferring on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Matt Painter was on the Dan Dockett radio show and made some comments that raised a few eyebrows regarding the transfer of both Matt Harms and Nogel Eastern this offseason. Today, which is Thursday, uh, Nogel announced he was tra- transferring to rival Big Ten School, Michigan, which was not met with much uh, grace by the Purdue fan base. <laughs> um, I'm going to hammer Rails uh, basketball guru, Casey Bartley, with me today to give a quick reaction to No Gel's transfer, Painter's reaction to the transfers, and some of the long term ramifications of the off season transfers uh, that produced all this year. Uh, thank you, Casey, for taking the time uh, to get this going with me. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, I will show up anywhere that someone's going to call me a guru, so. Well, I do. I just grease uh, the wheels, man. Yeah, trying times here in Boilermaker COVID. That's right. All right, well, let's get straight to it. Um, so what are your, the immediate effects, in your opinion, of no-gels transfer for the 20, prospective 2020-2021 Purdue basketball season? So the first thing is we lost an elite skip basketball is a whole lot of different things and you can sum a lot of parts together and you can make a bunch of decent pieces become really good but when someone has an elite skill that is super valuable and losing that hurts certainly certainly obviously no jail's elite skill was uh uh, you know a back-to-back big 10 all big 10 defensive team uh on the ball off the ball six seven sort of versatile defender um, who has shut out some of the, the best guards in the Big Ten over the last couple of years. Um, think about his performance against Romeo Langford last year in that otherwise brutal IU game that I think ended in the 40s. And, you know, what he did with Cassius Winston this year. And uh, pretty much every game he was on the best player on the other team. Everyone's watching The Last Dance right now. You know, it's the only thing on that's new. And, you know, there is some Scotty Pippen to Eastern on the defensive end where, you know, a lot of them have said if there was a problem on the court, the entire fix was to go, hey, Pippen, guard them. 
that's kind of defense Eastern as a six, seven guard provided. It's a little scary not to have anymore. Right. Especially when you, uh, you know, sort of look at Purdue's current roster and, and sort of go, well, we've got, you know, a bunch of combo guards. There's a real kind of big hole in that six, five to six, 10 range where I think maybe Newman's six, five and Jillis is six, seven, maybe. And that's about it as far as, you know, wing defenders. At the same time, though, the other first reaction is it should feel like it hurts more to lose Eastern. But the fact is Eastern plays offense like Eastern's guarding him. And uh, that's sort of always been the been the give and take with Nogel is that, you know, you may shut out Cassius Winston, but you're also probably going to get, you know, zero to five points from Nogel at the same time. Yeah, and it's, it's a complicated legacy because... Uh, he's and one end he's you know defense that's what purdue was supposed to be that's what we're supposed to mean he plays hard uh on the other there's just these little things you see where there's no reason that he shouldn't be a little better or he didn't improve and uh, it, it's just it would have been nice to have this you know senior year where it all came together and i think we're all rooting for him because he's you know i've talked to him multiple times in locker rooms after games uh those tournament runs where he he flashed what he could possibly be like against the best teams is when Eastern usually looked like he belonged the most on the court. So to get this senior year, like just taken off the books, we don't, we don't get a redemption tour. We don't get to see it coalesce. And that's sad. We don't get along with these players regardless. Right. And that's, I've been, you know, we've been following no gel since he uh, committed as, you know, one of the bigger commits and painters uh, run here. Um, and, you know, sort of followed him that freshman year where you saw, oh, man, this guy could be really good. And he played an important role on that team. Uh, and then, you know, last year where, you know, with the help of with having Klein and Carson out there at the same time, um, you know, you saw, oh, man, this guy is, can guard four positions. And, um, you know, he plays hard on defense. And on offense, I feel like when he's not required to do anything, he's actually a little bit better. You know, he can have, he had some sneaky games where he hit 15, 12, 13, like 11 points against Tennessee, where he can just sort of quietly pick his spots. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times the other team sort of falls asleep guarding him. They don't really expect him to do anything. Uh, and as opposed to the last season, which was obviously tough to watch, and you saw some weird regression in a couple areas that, Seemed more mental than physical, I guess, in my opinion. He lacks a jump shot. That that's just flat off. But the size advantage he had, and uh, he wasn't inept on offense entirely. Like there were some skills he did have, things he should have been able to take advantage of. But that overtime loss to Rutgers, when uh, Purdue's entire season and postseason was on the line, he scored zero points. Zero yeah. four. Zero points. An offensive rating of thirty nine. Yeah, and I was, I was talking about that game earlier, kind of talking about how uh, how it also showed how much how important he was on the defensive end because Rutgers basically just took whoever he was guarding, either Harper Jr. or Geo Baker, depending on who he was on, stuck him in the corner and played four on four with the other guys, and just torched Purdue down the stretch uh, with basically the entire offensive game plan being just keep no gel from playing defense. And, you know, the game-winning shot happened because Eastern wasn't guarding the guy. And so it's, so it's like the give and take of no gel. Uh, and, it's, and, I, and I just felt like 
I always talk about playing roles being so important with Purdue and Matt Painter's teams, where if everybody everybody has a role and if everybody plays their role, maybe a team that doesn't have the all-around great players can come together and form a great unit. And I feel like his role on that Carson and Klein team, I feel like he filled that perfectly. But then the next year, uh, I feel like he still played the same defense, uh, you know, and played that role well. But that just wasn't we needed more out of out of him than just that role. Yeah, I mean, Painter didn't lie. He plateaued. He did not get better coming into his junior season after making a jump his sophomore year. And, you know, now now we're not going to see it. If we do, it's going to be in a Wolverine uniform, which is weird. It is weird. And I always sort of question that, like, oh, he should make a big jump between his sophomore and junior year. And I agree with that. But, man, you're asking him to play kind of two different. It's not like he worked on some of those scoring aspects of his game and was looking to take the next step, I guess. I feel like, you know, he was asked for doing from maybe go from the fourth or fifth option last year to play in a more starring role on offense. And, I don't know. I guess I didn't. I, maybe I wasn't expecting the progression of those skills uh, quite as much. I would have loved to, you know, see Nogel get a jump shot or, uh, you know, be a little more aggressive off the dribble. Um, and, and I guess that is some stagnation there in his development. But, I mean, I think we really developed him to be the defensive stopper. I mean, that's what he did. We've seen pretty much every Purdue guard advance on defense a ton. Dakota Mathias went from barely guard anyone to, you know, defensive player of the year candidate. Same thing for Ray D. You should be able to add defense and you should be able to add offense. And, you know, Matt Painter was ruthless in that interview. But, you know, at some point, it's not enough just to go in the gym and put up shots. You have to produce. What did you see out of Nogel's game that just uh, didn't sort of translate i mean obviously we talk about the jump shot but you know there's a lot of guards we were talking before the podcast about michigan doing a lot with uh guards that can't shoot uh but what makes sort of what those michigan lead guards can do uh do on that squad uh sort of different than what nogel Nogel was bringing to the table minus the jumper it all comes down to purpose uh i i've spent a lot of time talking to you know joey burton skills coach who you know, had his hands on Carson Edwards and Dakota Mathias and Raphael Davis and now a ton of NBA players. And the thing he harps on is everything they do is for a purpose. You're building on things one step at a time to stuff you can apply in game. I don't know what the purpose of Eastern's offense ever was. Uh, he, he would do these random dribbles in half transition to set up weird no look passes that made no sense and the ball would sail out of bounds. Uh, he never really had a pace to his pick and roll game. It, it almost looked like his dribbling regressed this year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I think I mentioned that. that it seemed like his handle got a little looser and people were sticking, getting their hands in a little more and knocking the balls away from him. That You didn't really see that uh, last year. I, I think when you watch a game, you can get confused and think everything's just reaction, but you have dribble like moves. You have setups. You have things you're doing to get the defender in a certain position. Yeah. (laughs) COVID's getting the best of all of us. We've got a guest appearance by Casey's new dog, Bruno. There's a reason why people like Steve Nash or Spike Albrecht, how they're able to still have a successful 
offense ran through those guys, even though they're not the biggest, not the fastest. Their dribbles have a purpose. They're trying to get someone on their left hip. They're trying to get them off balance and then attack. Eastern just looked like he was just like scrolling through the Rolodex of dribbles he thinks he had. And then he just ended up somewhere. And usually it ended up in him. Usually ended up with Eastern, you know, just either being in a bad position or forcing a teammate to be in a bad position off a pass that was not well-timed. Right. I think we were both sort of hitting on uh, his post-up game or sort of lack thereof that we saw. And I felt like that was always a spot where I hope to see bigger gains. Uh, You know, maybe he's never going to... I mean, that jump shot looks busted. Like, that's some serious muscle memory, like... Sort of, you know, Tim Tebow tried his hardest to throw a football in the NFL and, and you know, couldn't do it because every time somebody chased him, he went back to how he threw the ball when he was six years old. A curse of bad mechanics. Yeah, right. So maybe, maybe you know, that's never going to be him. But there's guards that have done well without being able to shoot. Chris Kramer, I, you know, talk about, he was never, his mechanics looked okay, but, you know, at Purdue, he was never a shooter. Now, they, now, on his uh, European career, it looks like he's gotten some of that straightened out, and he's actually a, a bit better shooter or a more willing shooter. Um, yeah, but no gel never got that, so I always thought that the obvious sort of solution to that was take your 6-7 point guard and plunk him in the post and uh, let him just bully whoever, either make him switch down to a big, and then you end up with a mismatch of big on one of Purdue's guards, or you just end up you know, no gel six seven on a six one six two guard. You, you think you should just be able to take down to the post and just crush. But in his post up game was always seemed like he caught it and then like he was either super slow and then he would rush a couple of spin moves and flip it off the glass. And I guess that's sort of the same thing with the dribble where I never thought he was like, all right, catch, back down, back down, pivot, pump fake, scoop. Or, you know, fade away. It was always sort of like, uh, dribble, dribble, oh, God, uh, let's see here. Maybe I'll spin a little bit here. Oh, no, somebody's there. I'll spin this direction. Oh, he's still there. Maybe flip it up. And it always just never seemed, I guess, like you were talking about, now that I think about it even more, is sort of purposeful uh, post moves. If you're going to be a 6-7 point guard, that physically you're going to overmatch your defender one way or the other, pick one or the other, right? Develop one or the other. You don't have to have both, but you need to have something you can rely on, and he never did. And then, of course, even if, if you take him down to the post and he gets fouled, that's, you know, that's, well, you know, we're grateful for picking up the fouls and, and getting people in foul trouble. I've, you know, it looked like he was on trial every time he went to the free throw line. I'm going to need more than 45% from you from the free throw line, please. And he did so much better. You know, that sophomore year, it felt like, he finally got out of his own head. So not a, so his freshman year, 20 of 48 from the free throw line, 41%. Sophomore year, 65 of 100, 65%. This season, he only took 33 free throws, and he made 16 of them. That's 48%. How do you take 33 free throws? I don't know, especially when you feel like, I feel like several of those free throws were other teams fouling him on purpose to put him on the line. Like, like and, but you know, we watched the games, there was, and a lot of those, he would drive the ball hard to the basket and then dump it off at the last second instead of just taking it up with his body and drawing the foul. And I always felt like some of that was just, he did not want to go to the free throw line uh, because it looked super weird again. So- 
This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. We're being pretty harsh on on his game. You could argue we're being less harsh than Matt Painter was in his interview with Dan Dockage. Right. What, what is your feeling on how that interview went? Man, I'm sort of conflicted on that because I, I understand what Painter, Painter was trying to say. Um, and I think... And somebody sort of on the comments mentioned this in the comments section, and I thought that uh, they're probably right. Is this was sort of Painter trying to put out some fires because when you have, you know, your two what you anticipate being your two senior leaders transfer unexpectedly in the off season, and people do start saying, "Well, what's up with Purdue? How? What's going on with this culture where you've got the guys that have been in the program?" Uh, you know, unhappy and leaving, and, you know, you see sniping maybe on social media, you know, what's going on. So I, I understand sort of the thing. I feel like Matt got a little, I wish he'd have given it a day or two, but I feel like if you'd have given it like two or three days, that would have been a totally different interview, and some of the parts where you sort of cringe probably would have been smoothed out. It's tough because uh, we always want to think of this in, you know, like hypothetical worlds, but general role, whatever. But for three, four, five years, Matt Painter has put his all into making No Gel Eastern's career, life, in a better place. He takes leadership and leading these young men seriously. And you could tell with a lot of his explanations, like, it wasn't about Eastern just leaving. It was a lack of communication, just all of a sudden. Eastern's gone. Yeah. And then you, you mirror that with uh, the reasons he's leaving are not reasons that painter, you know, agrees with. He literally thinks he's doing worse for himself. Right. And, and you know, as somebody, Matt, who's invested a lot of time and likes, but loves no gel. He said that over yeah. and over again, that he's, there's no, no gel Eastern super likable. Yeah. There's no animosity in that, that, no. that relationship as where yeah. they are, fighting each other on the practice court or, you know, don't He's like a disappointed each- parent. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, definitely. That's sort of what it came off with. I feel like some of it came off a little bitter. I wish he had picked a bit, a different medium. I felt like maybe a journal and courier article or a gold, even a golden black article. I don't, I don't know if I, I agree just, with that. Just cause I, I, I felt lit when I saw the quote, like we all saw the quote come out. So to bring we all saw the quotes come out on Twitter beforehand, and they read real cold and angry. But when you listen to it, most of them, none of them were uh, nearly that cold. And there was a sense of more like, well, if this is why he's leaving, then yeah, the team's better. It's because if he's leaving because he doesn't want to compete, of course your team is better for that. 
Right, definitely. But I think I think Matt's savvy enough to know, or you've yeah. got to be savvy enough right. to know that that's not people aren't going to sit down and listen to a forty-minute Matt Painter Dan Dockish interview. They're going to pull out some of those sort of juicy quotes, you know. And, and Dockish sort of has that reputation as a provocateur. He didn't and, have to provoke. He didn't have to provoke much. No, he didn't. <laughs> he, he didn't have to provoke much because I, I mean Matt was ready to go uh, <laughs> from yeah. from from the get from the start. You, yeah. I, I feel like it's about. 15 minutes in, you almost hear him take a deep breath and go, okay. All right, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it, it is sort of what it is. I don't, like I said, uh, I like No Jelly Eastern. I don't, I don't, I didn't like a couple of the, I didn't like the not a Boilermaker thing. I just think that's petty. That just seemed sort of taking an unnecessary dig. Uh, and some of it I felt a little bit like it was airing some team dirty laundry. I think that's the argument that sticks. It's just like, you don't let the stuff out. Yeah. No one wants to because, you know, everyone has moments they're not proud of, especially at 18, 19, 20, 21. We all wish we could have some redos. And I get that. I I, honestly, I think this is just like full turn. Matt Painter's being Matt Painter. There's no, whether it's age, whether it's because he regrets some of the, some of the stuff he did a few years ago with those teams that, kind of collapsed around him i think he's just full leaning in this is what i believe this is what i am this is what i'm gonna say there's there's gonna be no i i get what you're saying that he's smarter than that and he knows better and i think he does know that there's gonna be ramifications but i i I think he has made the conscious decision that nope this is this is what i am this is what i'm gonna be there's i'm not gonna deviate from that yeah and you know in the long run i think everybody is just sort of bored and uh this, uh, you know, in a month from now, this is water under the bridge. Oh, I am so bored. Right? Like, that's all we got to talk about. So I'm going to have, like, super harsh, like, hot takes because, like, I don't know. I'm trapped inside with a five-year-old. And uh, she's – we're going to go to dueling pistols mm-hmm. at some point soon. <laughs> um, so, you know, a, a lot of this is just a tempest in a teapot and – Nobody's going to care about it. I don't think it has any sort of long-term ramifications or, uh, you know, any sort of lasting effect on recruiting or player morale or anything. I think Matt needed to blow off some steam, and he did. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. I think you can agree with some of the stuff, disagree with some of the stuff, and sort of leave, move on and leave it from there. Yeah, I think you can make the case that Part of the reason he's doing this is to galvanize the people that are there, the right. the players that are staying. You know, because they lost in theory two of their senior leaders, but I think Painter was making it clear that that's not how you lead. It's right. up to them to lead, and you know, do it. And I always sort of felt like I always sort of felt like uh, you know, senior leader may be a little over uh, overdone. Just because you're a senior doesn't mean you're you have that mentality. Uh, I don't think either Harms or Nogel really, at least on the court, projected to me as being sort of a leader. Um, they were good followers, um, and but, you know, they played with Carson was obviously the alpha dog. And, you know, you had Klein, who was probably a little quieter, but also, you know, a leader on the team and Grady. So they could just sort of play that role. And I don't know. I don't know if they were just makeup wise you know ever going to be produced leaders uh that you would sort of think of no but 
you're in the program that long, you kind of you kind of got to take a little responsibility for that. Right. And I think they, you know, obviously they know what's going on on the court, but, uh, and, you know, in practice, and we're obviously not there in practice to see, to see what goes on there. Um, so I, I laugh like last year, I felt like, especially towards the end of the year, Eric Hunter and John Williams were the two guys that were trying to take hold of that team, you know, as opposed to harms and no gel. Um, and so, I'm not sure we lost a ton in leadership. Obviously, we lost, you know, some sort of value on the court uh, short term. But uh, sort of going into that, let's talk more long term uh, ramifications of the both uh, no gel and harms uh, sort of transferring. I think, it, in my opinion, it'll, well, the 2020, 20, you know, the next year uh, team will, will take a hit. But uh, let's talk you know, moving forward or some of the silver linings, I guess. You're not going to lose those two players and be better. You're just not. That's not how college basketball works. They had been in big moments and they had stepped up and they had been good on the court. Depth is always nice, especially when it's a four-year senior. But long-term, I I think we we all saw last year that last year's team was built for Carson Edwards. It's an entirely different season if he comes back for one more year. He didn't. He got an NBA contract. Good for him. But there were a lot of people miscast and stepped forward into a more shining role one year early. Eastern and Harms were not the player to help that divide. The players that are there that are going to help that divide are coming in this year. It's Morton and Ivy. It's Newman, redshirting, and Gillis to some effect. So the fact that Harms and Eastern are out of the way now, that just means not this year, but next year. Those get, Those two guards... Those three guards specifically are going to get the ball in their hands. They're going to play big moments. They're going to defend real players. And this sets up the team better for in the future. It just does. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. That's sort of what I was thinking is, you know, I think this obviously hurts the ceiling of, for the next for next year's team. But how high was that ceiling anyway? We saw I that. I don't know if it hurts the ceiling. It lowers the floor. Lowers the floor. Okay, I can see that where... where <laughs> Maybe this, if Morton and Ivy hit as yeah. big as freshmen, uh, you know, the ceiling could be similar. But, you know, if they don't Morton. come in right away, right. Uh, there could be, you know, we, it could be a struggle of the season. But I think because of that, this team will have a higher ceiling maybe in two or especially three years. We have seen consistently what Painter can do with one recruiting class. We've seen Etwan Moore, Robbie Hummel, just change around a program in one year off of nothing. Um, we saw it happen with Vince Edwards, PJ Thompson, and Dakota Mathias and Haas. Are these players as good? I, I don't know, but Morton and Ivy are as highly ranked as any two that we've gotten at the same time. Uh, Newman is potentially a physical stud in the similar ways that Eastern is. If those three all hit and we get 30 minute a night, Trevion Williams, that's awesome. If Aaron Wheeler shoots more than 20% from three, if Sasha actually starts making threes on the road, somehow like stops being, you know, the worst shooter on the road and the best shooter at home for no reason. There are a lot of little margins that we can improve upon going into next year. That's going to make us pretty damn good next year. And none of those people are going to leave for the next year, two years. Um, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about what What do you think, what's the lineup going to look like uh, next year? If you had to put on your, uh, you know, 
look into your crystal ball. I know it's a little convoluted at the moment because we don't even know if Painter's going to bring in uh, any grad transfers uh, right now. You kind of got to think Ivy's going to, like, everything is just pushing Ivy, right? Right. Everything is just leading. We need a guy who can play in the pick and roll. And I don't, Isaiah Thompson's never going to be it consistently because he's too small. He just is. He's never going to be able to get to the hoop. I, I don't know if that's Hunter's game. Hunter was actually a pretty good catch-and-shoot guy. He's got that mid-range jumper that's good. I, it, there's just a certain fluidity to his drives that doesn't... It, it doesn't break down a defense the way you want a lead guard to. And everything we've heard or seen, Ivy just wants to just carve up a defense and score. And we have been missing that. Yeah. When I watch Hunter, I see. I always feel like he's, he's real smooth. But he doesn't have that next gear on his on his dribble. And every now and then he breaks it out. Uh, I feel like he surprises teams and gets a layup. But I feel like he almost plays at a very constant pace instead of more, uh, you know, stop start explosion. He's like, almost too smooth. Yeah, yeah. Like Carson was super jerky, stop start like, shift move. He wasn't switch. his freshman year. Right, and so that's, Carson that's was one gear, fifth gear all the time. Yeah, which is uh, when he shot about forty percent at the rim. And, you know, I feel like looking back in Purdue history, Lujak had that problem sometimes where he was just going so fast. By the time he got to the, off the basket, he was just yeah. bouncing it off the backboard. But um, you know, so I guess Hunter Hunter would be the guy that, like I said, I felt like he was really taking, trying to take that team over down the stretch. And it didn't go the way, you know, I think we wanted it to go. You saw that effort there where he was the guard with the ball in his hand in the spaced out floor. Uh, he work. didn't look scared. No, he definitely did and not I'll look like he was afraid of the moment. Uh, it didn't like, it didn't always work out, but you know that's also the first time he'd really played that role in uh, you know college basketball. So I, I have hopes that he he's going to make a big step. Uh, what do you think about Sasha's uh, game? I know we talked about he just figured out how to shoot when he after he gets off a bus. So but, for uh, no reason whatsoever, Sasha was our most reliable and best guard at getting to the rim last year. Yeah, no. It sounds it sounds ridiculous, but it's just true. Because he would catch the ball and he'd just commit and he'd go to the rim. And sometimes that's all it takes, especially if everyone's going to close out on you. I like Sasha's game a lot. I, I thought coming in, like, before the red shirt, he had the prettiest jump shot walking into Purdue since, you know, Mount. It's it's gorgeous. It's fast. The shots he takes. We, we got so spoiled by Carson and Klein. I, I don't know if there's ever uh, like that is a once in generation backcourt able to make the toughest on the move, full speed catch and shoot threes that you're ever going to see. It was ridiculous. And we had Dakota before that. Sasha's got some of that in his blood. He's got a lot of it in his blood. It's just every so often those misses are going to look bad because you're you're moving a mile a minute one way and you're turning the other and you're going to airball. Like, right, yeah. Just will. When you miss those, you really yeah. miss them. <laughs> yeah, you're not even looking at the hoop. Yeah, that's all. You're catching the ball and you might watch it go in towards the end, but like you're catching, trying to get square. It's going to go bad when it goes bad. But he's, I don't, I, I just feel like he has something. He's not nearly the passer any of those guys are. Um, you, you've talked about it before while we were chatting. I don't know what he thinks about when he gets like, an attempt to an entry pass. It seems like he wants to make it difficult and that would be nice if he would stop doing that. But I, I I think he's the perfect off ball player 
And I think as soon as we get a couple guys who can do things with the ball, he becomes immensely more valuable. Right. I, I totally agree with that. I also feel like one of the big things with Sasha is he obviously cares. That dude plays oh, hard. God. That play, yeah. He wears his – although sometimes I feel like he's a little too emotional. Charge um, is hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And he's Charge really – Charge is hurt. And he's looking for those. He's, he's hunting those down. And he's good I, at it. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like he's a better shooter after he takes a couple and gets his head smacked around a little bit and gets mad. Yeah. No, I think Carson definitely cares. I think Hunter also, I think you see, I see that in his game too, where he, he really cares about being a good basketball player at Purdue. You know, the game means a lot to him. Uh, so, you know, that's always, you know, you talk about that's obviously the Matt Painter sort of mold. So, you know, and Ivy coming in, Ivy and Morton both sort of strike me as those types of players as well. And so I, I do see some some good upside. You know, there's always going to be a question of, are we going to have a, how is Gillis going to do? Uh, Gillis and Wheeler, because that four spot. Do uh, you have any thoughts on the four spot coming in? So so here's a hope for next year. And I, and I think this is probably true. We've got all these players that are so close, and but we're all kind of down on them because this last year was real rough because they were all kind of in bad spots. I think we're severely sleeping on at least two or three players on our roster. And it makes sense because, you know, Wheeler didn't turn out the way he was supposed to. Harms didn't. Eastern, everyone kind of disappointed. But that is not the normal for player development under Painter. I don't know if it's going to be Isaiah Thomas. I don't know if it's going to be Gillis. I don't know if it's going to be Newman. You talk about the four spot. It's Wheeler's. It's Wheeler's to have. It just is. He's 6'10". He offers rim protection and rebounding. And at some point in his freshman redshirt year, he could shoot. I don't even want to look up the number because I know it hurts. But this last year he was uh, scrolling, scrolling 21 of 97. And oh, 21 came very early. And, but you know what? I will give him one thing. I appreciate the confidence. Can't <laughs> shoot. To keep shooting. Because that's tough to do, man. Oh, you, God, it is. If you, you're on that 80th three-pointer and you've hit 15, you know, 15 or 16 of them, that it ball just of, starts to feel awful it, in your hand. It takes a lot of confidence to pull the trigger on that 81st one. Uh, and so he made, he made 10 threes in the first eight games. Oh man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened to, to 11 to, the rest of the way. He was 31 85 for three as a, as a redshirt freshman. He was good. I remember he came in that Tennessee game and looked like he belonged on that court, came off of that high screen and just drilled one under pressure in the second half and just, you know, no problem. And I think that's what everybody was looking for this year. I mean, he was streaky his freshman year. Like if you, if you look over some of the game logs, like it's, he's definitely streaky, but there are a lot of offers, just a lot of offers this last year. Yeah. And someone has to break out. We have, we have too much potential talent and painter and that staff is too good at developing players and you touched on this earlier too. Wheeler's like close to an elite rebounder. His defensive rebounding percentage was uh, 22.2, 133rd best in the country. Throw him and Trevion Williams on the floor together. Trevion was the 60th best in the country. They're going to rebound the ball. Harms, not, not good. anywhere, not, not 16%. Yeah, no, I feel like Matt needed the ball to bounce real high off the rim because <laughs> if, if, when the ball went up real high, he he was good. And I also feel like Travion and, and Wheeler together, I do like that rebounding combination. I feel like they're different kinds of rebounders where Wheeler's 
good at going up in a crowd and pulling it down where uh, Travion is good at just carving out his space and, mm-hmm. and, and pulling it down because he's just a, a man and a grizzly bear with giant hands. Wheeler was shockingly good as an off-ball rim protector. He gets up and he gets both hands. He's getting higher than you. You're you're not getting over him, and he can get to you pretty quickly for especially for a four. Yeah, no, I, I like I like everything Wheeler brings to the four position. Other than I feel like there were some focus issues uh, last year in a few games uh, where I watched the film and go, "What is he doing on defense? Like, where is he going? He's sort of halfway between trying to guard three different people." Um, I know some of that's just the rotation of it. I feel like some of it was like he legit did not know and like Painter was like looking at him trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, and then obviously just whatever happened to his shot. So I do have one more thing. Uh, we're going a little not long. I don't really have, we have a time limit. But um, I guess the last thing I was going to wanted to sort of mention that was a little off script is uh, what do you think, how many players is Painter going to regularly play next year? Because we oh. sit here and we talked about, you know, all of these guys I mean, do you want to play 11 players, 12 players? or, or The you, answer you know? is no. You don't. Right. Because <laughs> you don't get in a rhythm, and I think we've seen enough of that where periphery pieces just, they're never going to get. We watched Klein no-show for 10 games just because, like, he's playing seven minutes. By the time he starts to get a sweat, he's getting yanked out because, you know, it's Carson Edwards and Dakota Mathias in front of you. So I, I think we're going to start off playing everyone, and I think you have to. I don't think Ivy and Morton, I, I think they're too good to redshirt. And Isaiah Thompson's either going to be really freaking good next year or out of the rotation. And that's going to come off how well he shoots. It's one or the other. It's easier now because Harms and Eastern are gone. I mean, big man's the one rotation where we're like, I don't, I don't know. Is Dawawana going to be enough to play. I have, I have, I have high hopes, high hopes for him. I have, I've you have high talking. hopes, but you have no idea. I have, I have. That's no just idea. the straight truth. No one has I, any idea. And I guess I will say that is that I think he's a good. I think he's a pretty good athlete. I think a lot of people are saying that he's trash, and they also have no idea, in, like what he's going to bring. I, I like the physical tools he has. Uh, you know, you sort of look at the schools that are recruiting him out of high school. Super quick. Yeah, I think this Great was the, lateral movement. I think this was the plan for him all along. Like, I know Painter didn't bring him in because oh, he's gonna be a stud. He's near top one hundred. Like he yeah. was not a nobody. And, and almost on pure potential because he hadn't played basketball that long. If I remember no, correctly, no, not at all. Uh, so I feel like this was always the plan for him was that coming into his third year, getting the rotation, be an athletic, you know, shot blocker, rebounder give Trey a break, uh, you know, he Trey. might be the answer to who runs pick and roll as a big man. That's, uh, you know, I could see him doing that. All he, if he can just catch, uh, he runs like a gazelle. I mean, his high school tape, pretty decent hands, really good feet. And that's what I, I noticed even last year. And when he was, Nimble. you know, picking up, pick, yeah, like, you know, garbage minutes, he get the ball, his feet footwork looked really smooth. Like mm-hmm. he definitely looked like, he knew what he was doing. Uh, and, he was a soccer player. Yeah. That was his sport before basketball. And so I, I have high hopes that he uh, he's going to provide Purdue what they need off the bench at the five position, depending on if Trey can stay out of foul trouble. Now, we, he's going to have to play 20 minutes a game because Trey can't stay on the floor. We're in trouble. I mean, Panthers going to have to get – we're going to have to play small. We're going to play real small. Aaron Wheeler's going to have to play some five. 
there's just no way around it. Spacing's not a bad thing. And you know, if you and we think about Wheeler as this sort of guard wing, but I think a lot of teams would not mind having an athletic six ten uh, shot blocker playing center for him. I mean, that's not like crazy. He's he is a skinnier version of what Maryland has played for a big man for the last ten years. I mean, physically, he's got a little Juwan Johnson uh, look to yeah. his, to his game. I wish uh, he had Juwan's jumper. Right, right. I mean, I mean. Just just physically sort of long arms, long legs, lean frame. That I'm not saying they're a similar player at all. But just, you know, I think they can bring maybe a couple same physical traits where, again, I don't think it's shocking that Aaron Wheeler could play the five. Uh, but then, of course, you go, I guess, who the hell plays the four then? <laughs> I mean, Gillis, uh, Newman, uh, Morton. Morton's pretty big. Yeah, I think they're all 6'4", six, 6'5", six, guys. Yeah. We're getting closer and closer to positionless basketball. It's pretty much here. So I, I'm not super worried about the four. I, I am a little worried about the five. I, honestly, we just we need them to be able to shoot. Please, shoot a little, make shots. And uh, I guess the other thing is I, I kind of feel like Painter's really gonna. If we go small, I think he's gonna hit the gas more so than they did last year. It'll be really nice to have a point guard who actually wants to run it forward and push the pace instead of half transition every every rebound. Yeah, with especially Morton and, uh, and Ivy. I guess I don't even know which one of those guys. I, I know Morton's going to, or Ivy's going to push the ball, but Morton... From the Morton will push he, the ball. He looks like he's wanting to attack as well, so... Well, that and he'll, like, outlet passes. Gorgeous outlet passes. We obviously got off on a tangent here, but... You know, we're all bored, bro. We're all... <laughs> they can turn us off if they like. I'm entertained. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, I think it is about time to wrap it up. I need to go catch whatever I'm going to eat for dinner tonight. So any uh, sort of final uh, thoughts to uh, conclude our inaugural Drew Casey podcast? Yeah, I think it's as much as, in a weird way, I'm more... I'm more excited now for the upcoming season, partly because I don't know. And partly because these youngsters that are coming in that I've been really excited about are now going to be in the step, step uh, spotlight more. And, you know, generally that's worked out for, them. so I am ready for us to exceed expectations and no hard feelings to Eastern or harms. I wish them the best of luck. Uh, but You know, we've got a team to root for and I'm pretty excited to see those, those kids get to, uh, step into it a little earlier now yeah I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you there i feel you know definitely no uh bad feelings towards harms and eastern i feel like uh, we as a fan base probably uh, i've seen some pretty vicious stuff on you know but this social media and it's just a trash heap so uh you know they're, they're gone whatever they did while they were here they played a huge role in one of the most exciting Purdue basketball teams of all time. And uh, I'll always appreciate him for that. And, you know, enjoyed watching both of them play. They're gone. It's over for those guys. So we're moving on. Uh, And uh, I am looking forward to next year. I think it'll it'll be a lot of interesting questions uh, to be answered early in the season. you know, but I think Matt's up for the challenge, and uh, I'm glad he's going to be the one leading the ship. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I, I cannot wait for sports to start again. Please, something. Oh, God. I'm so bored. So bored. 
anyways, Casey, nice talking to you, and uh, enjoy your new puppy, and uh, we'll, do this, we'll do this again next week. Yes, we will. Thank All right. I'm at home. Have a good one. Stay safe.